Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Where Do We Go From Here? I'm Stephanie Parry, and this is a special episode of my podcast to celebrate and mark International Women's Day 2022 and the theme of Break the Bias. I have to say, when I was younger, I didn't really give much thought to this day. And if I did, I probably didn't think it was that important. But over the years, my attitude has changed. And I see now that International Women's Day is a way to honour those women who have come before us, to connect with women all over the world, and to raise awareness about the work still to be done globally, so that all women have an equal voice and are free of gender bias that most of us face every day of our lives. Joining me in this episode are five exceptional women who share why this day matters to them, the gender biases they experience, and, because we want to offer hope, what they have done to break the bias. I found our conversations inspiring, thought-provoking and moving, and I felt a deep connection to these women. It would be remiss of me if I didn't say that we had some sombre moments as we talked, with the war in Ukraine especially on our minds, not to mention the plight of so many women in the world right now who do not have the privileges that we take for granted and that we cherish more and more as we realise how lucky we are. So, with that in mind, let's hear from my five guests. Firstly, Irene Rogers, who has been a mentor and role model to me for several decades. So my name is Irene Rogers. I'm an American living in Paris, although not that American anymore, I suppose. And I've been here for over 50 years. Stephanie and I did some interesting work together at some point. It was fun. I'll talk about some of the other work that I did. And now I'm retired and very busy and having a great time too. Now, Chitupa Mungombo, whom I met just recently and who I found so inspiring, I asked her to be my guest straight away. So I'm Chitupa and I'm from the UK. I have a very strong heritage. My father originally from Zambia, my mother from Trinidad and Tobago. I've mostly worked in the financial services sector all over the world, and I absolutely love traveling. And then Maddie Banks, the daughter of a trusted colleague of mine, who shed light on being a young woman today. My name is Maddie Banks. I'm a student in England in an American school, an international school. I'm 16 years old. (laughs) My mom's American, so I am English and American. And from France, Nathalie Lafrie, who is a social entrepreneur. Natalie thinks about and acts on women's issues and really helps empower women. I live in France. I'm a partnership director at Ed Academy. This is a training center. 
I'm also a career development manager for women, especially women who have sustainable projects that they want to develop. And I'm a mother of three children, and I live in Lyon, in France, uh, at the countryside. And finally, Gisela Banken, a long-term colleague with whom I have shared many professional experiences. My name is Gisela Banken. I'm uh, an HR director um, at a company called Cognex. I'm German, 52 years old, living in Germany, working in international environments for over 20 years. And me, Stephanie Perry. British and French, living in Paris, sister, aunt, godmother, wife, stepmother, grandmother, friend, carer, executive coach, consultant and podcaster. Between all of us, we represent different generations, nationalities, cultural heritage, colour, and we bring our different experiences and lens to the conversation. And yet we all agree that International Women's Day matters to us, that we have all experienced gender bias and that we each have been able to do something about it. I hope this whets your appetite to listen and learn more, regardless of your gender. My first question is, why does International Women's Day matter to you? I'll turn to Gisela's answer first, as she describes how she came to see this day as important. Well, your question really triggered me to think about it and I have to say when I look back growing up I thought you know women are equal and there is no problem with it from when I was very young and for me it was like yeah the world is open to me I can go and study the law said you know I can vote I can work I'm equal to men so at that time my world was perfect I thought you know everything is is okay my view then changed you know starting working and and taking on my first jobs and making my first experiences and I think you know this is where I would say all women, most women have some kind of experience of, you know, encountering bias. And where I really had a turning point for myself personally looking, you know, at the topic was an implicit bias training delivered in my company at the time. So for me, that really kind of shed a more scientific light on the topic of bias, which I didn't have before. The fact that they, in the training, provided us, you know, with research, with facts, with numbers, and made me understand that being, you know, female, being a mother, being Black does not prevent you from being biased towards other women, other working moms, other Black people. So that was really, for me, an eye-opener to understand that, you know, micro-advantages for white, male, tall, good-looking man have an impact on career, on salary. But it also made me understand how complicated the topic is and how difficult it will be to change it. So that's really where my view on International Women's Day changed. And I, all of a sudden, for me, it had a meaning for me. I, I related to it. And for me today, it's, it's an ongoing reminder of the fact that although in many constitutions of the world, 
women are considered equal, the reality is dominated by men in many ways and women experience gender bias on a regular basis. And Maddie, who echoes this theme of reflection? Well, I think it's quite an important day for like reflection on what women in the past have gone through, because I think that there's a lot of work still to be done for equality for women. But I think that we've come a very long way and it's a good day to like reflect on that and maybe learn something about what women in the past have gone through. And also a good day to like come together as as women and just see all type all kinds of women and yeah, to unite. And Chitupa, who reminds us that this day is an international day and that we're connected globally throughout all the countries of the world. The first thing that is of real importance to me is that it is international and that means that it is inclusive of everyone around the globe. And so, you know, when we think of International Women's Day, I think it's really important to remember people in all and women in all geographies and those that sometimes don't come to the fore. And as I'm thinking about it right now, I'm thinking of women who may be forgotten you know, in in the most rural areas of Africa or India. But I'm also thinking of women today who have to make decisions in a country such as Ukraine. So I think that it is really important that this is a day when all women come together and are united and are able to celebrate, learn and empower from each other. And this was echoed by Irene, too. Well, I thought a lot about this because I am a non-active feminist, which means I haven't participated in March's festivities. But on March 8th, I do think about the fact that it's a day to recognize women, experience a sense of solidarity, but also a moment of gravitas you read about Afghanistan right now, women who are quite literally enslaved in Mauritania, young girls who are forced into marriages. So that those issues are things that I think about. They come to mind, obviously, on March 8th. And I also think about what I learned from my mother, from my grandmother, and what I hope I have bequeathed to my daughter. Maybe one day what I'll share with my granddaughter about this. And finally, Natalie reminds us that although it's a day of focus and solidarity, it's also a day of commitment and action. Actually, this day is a very special day to me. Uh, It means uh, three words, if if I can sum up. Solidarity. It means it's a day to remind the woman's condition worldwide. The second thing would be sorority because it's a, a day of celebration for all women to gather and we uh, we create events and we we have uh, dedicated conferences or, or workshops or even evenings for for women's rights and equality and the last one would be a political uh, commitment because um, Fighting for women's rights is a daily engagement that is useful in all spheres. And we can have this commitment with our neighbors, for instance, of a woman uh, in the neighborhood uh, on the local side, but also uh, in our organizations. So it's a daily uh, commitment to me as well. 
And for me, as I said at the start, this day is a day of celebration for women globally, a day of remembering how far we've come as societies and communities, and a day of reflection about what we can all do to break the bias. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My next question caused wry smiles from all my guests. The question is, have you ever experienced gender bias? And if so, can you give me an example? I tried to ask it in a way that didn't lead the answers, but we all sadly acknowledged that we had experienced gender bias, and we still do, sometimes in small, micro ways, sometimes in large and obvious ways. I'm going to start with Irene first who is talking about being a young woman in the 1960s. I got married when I was 22. And the first gender bias I experienced was in my own head. That it was about where we lived depended on where my husband got a job. He was a university teacher. I have to say that during the 13 years where we were together and married, we moved eight times to city and country to country and state to state each time because he changed jobs. And I scrambled to find work. It certainly didn't occur to me that my job could be a reason for staying in one place or another. And it was only 13 years after I got married when we split that I basically took hold of my life and realized that Nobody was going to decide for me what I did and where I lived, except my daughter. Then in 1983, I, I created ICM, which you know, the consulting company, with two men. And I have to say that I was really proud to have created an organization that paid salaries, our own, but also of plenty of others, which fit my value system. And there, it was very interesting. If I would go to see a client about a potential project with, let's say, Charles, my partner, the contact would be between the two men because it was just about always a man we went to see. And I would have to say something particularly intelligent or percutant, you know, 
for the guy to say, oh, and I would be a bit in the conversation. It wouldn't necessarily last long. And it wasn't even things that Charles did. It wasn't like he was trying to exclude me. It was just sort of happening. And I think that if we hadn't been equal partners, if we hadn't liked one another, especially if we hadn't trusted one another, it would have been unbearable for me. When I listened to Irene, I compared her experience with my own, which really started when I first entered corporate life. Having been to an all-girls school with high expectations of its students, and then become quite idealistic at university about the new laws preventing sexual discrimination and equal pay, I entered corporate life with great expectations, only to be quickly disappointed when I was questioned about my intention to have a family. Comments were made about how I looked and dressed, and there was a general belief that my career wouldn't last long. There were very few women role models, but when I found them, I watched them carefully and learned so much from them. Even with 10 years age difference between us, Giza's early experience resonates with me. Looking back at the beginning of my career, I think it was often, I was often the only woman to attend a meeting with many men. And uh, there, you know, what typically hit me was, can you take the notes? Can you book the follow-up meeting? Can you get the coffee? And till today, I'm very careful as a woman to not take the role because I'm a woman. So I, I think that's a very easy example, which was very typical at the beginning of my career. And that's maybe one small piece that gets better when you get older, right? You get less asked to get the coffee. <laughs> it has to have some advantages. Most of us experience gender bias at the start of our careers, but Natalie had a recent experience on LinkedIn. I would have several examples, but if I can take a recent example, on LinkedIn, some weeks ago, I read an interview from Catherine Barbao. She's a serial entrepreneur. She worked in the US and in France, and she was presenting a new project, which is a school for freelancers. And the title of the article was Women Needs to women need to invest in projects uh, led by women. And a man uh, in the comments uh, on LinkedIn criticized writing it's awful and it, it's uh, discriminatory. Shall we accept that women defend women or black people defend black people, etc.? Of course, I fully agree with that uh, comment. I would rather have a, a, a mixed, mixed people defending all rights for, for everyone but in the reality, it sounds different because this is a kind of uh, injustice concern everyone. But sometimes groups such as women or black people or other kind of groups, they need to gather together because they have the same problems, the same needs, and they need to create solutions together. So I commented this post sharing that I, I agree with him but that we shouldn't uh, uh, forget that there are inequalities in salaries and issues uh, faced by working moms who sacrifice their career or suffer from mental charge. And uh, his answer was salary discrepancies between women and men don't exist in France. We have parity. Uh, it's just, for, it just forgetting that I think it's 16% less if we compare both salaries from women and men. He didn't listen to me. He was just thinking about what he would, he would say because he saw a, a phrase on an article 
and it shocked him, but he could have asked questions, be curious about the situation is enough. And Chitupa, like most of us, has experienced gender bias all her career, but has also the experience of when that bias intersects with colour. I've definitely encountered gender bias yeah, throughout my whole life, I would say. I have lived, like yourself, in different parts of the world. It is more so in some parts of the world, it is, it is even more blatant, right? I remember I was sitting around a meeting table in South Africa and this guy was making, well, I don't know, he was making a joke or he said something and he said something to the effect that women are idiots. And then he made another remark on something really denigrating about black people. And then he remembered that I was in the room. So he looked at me and he said, oh, but I wasn't talking about you. You know, you're, you're, you're the exception. And what I've noticed is that I'm tired of being in spaces where people sort of, you know, become conscious of what they're saying and they know that it's wrong. And then say, oh, no, 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 but I didn't mean you. You're the exception. But gender bias doesn't just come in one direction from men to women. Gisela offered this insight into her own gender bias when it came to a hiring decision and what she learned about it. The other example I would share with you is when I observed myself being biased in a situation. So many years later, I was about to hire an assistant. And one of the women applying, women, obviously, it's an assistant job, applying for the role, was a mother of four. She hadn't worked for eight years. The fourth child was kindergarten age, four or five years old. So I observed myself thinking, oh, my God, she will be out caring for her children all the time. They will be sick all the time. I'm not sure I want this. And then I thought about it and I actually decided to hire her because she was so positive. And actually, she worked for me for many years. And I think she was out one day in total in all these years. She was the most positive person you could have on the team. And I think she was especially positive because she was glad, you know, to have this job, you know, do something else on on top of her kids. So, you know, it's, it's. You experience yourself also. I think it's it's important to have a view on yourself when you are in those situations. I want to finish with Maddie. Many of us felt that our experience of gender bias started with our corporate careers. But Maddie is 16 and yet has already experienced gender bias. Yeah, I definitely have, especially in sports. I used to do tennis and my coach would occasionally make comments, made me feel like he valued the male players on our team more than the the female players about like strength and ability to play, um, which was, it, it made me not want to play anymore. So that was quite difficult. Another example that I, I always think about is, I don't know if you've heard of the Bechdel test. I have, yes. Yeah, it's in, in movies. It's when it's three criteria that movies have to pass and they have to have like female, two female characters having a conversation not about men and they have to be named. And I think that's really important because a lot of movies do not pass that test. And I think that's 
a good thing to strive towards more movies. Yeah. And when you see a movie that doesn't pass that test, what do you do? Do you um, switch off or do you walk out or what do you do? Not often, but it does make me feel a little bit underrepres- underrepresented. So here we are in 2022, and we know that gender bias exists, that being human is to have unconscious bias. However, we also know that this bias is systemic, not just individual. I strongly believe that awareness is crucial. When the unconscious becomes conscious, you cannot not see it. So the final question to my guests is, what have you done or experienced that helps to break that bias? We want to give hope and show ways forward. So Chitupa's advice is about taking care of yourself. So I think that I think that what works for me is to actually just really work on myself and to know myself as an individual. And and so I've found that the more that I've worked on really figuring out who is Chitupa, what am I really good at? What am I confident at? Obviously, where are my weaknesses, etc.? But where is my where's my real truth? Who's my you know authentic self when I present myself? And what do I stand for? So if I was to frame that, it would be I have I have really worked on figuring out who I am and what is my true and real identity in the world so that when I go into any space and someone says something to me, I then question it and I say, is that really true of me as Chitupa, right? And then I can, I know that somewhere in my filing system, I can then say, this is just so not true of me, right? This is not me. And so then what I've learned to do, and this is a process, because if you don't do this, then I found that you can get triggered very quickly, right? So what I'm saying is a process and you have, as with everything, you practice it. But then I'm able to look at the other person and to better understand that when people say things or do things towards you based on a bias, it is because... Of, it's mostly because of their exposure. It's mostly because of the information that they've got on hand up until this point, right? And so I decided that I'm just going to show up as who I am and that, yes, in those circumstances, I will gently question people, but that also you know, as I said, drains energy, having to teach people every single week, every single day. But to appreciate that they are at a certain place in their time, you know, at the moment, and that what they've said is is from where they are, and actually I can accept that. I'm not going to judge that. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to have an argument. And you know what? That is how it works for me. Then Giesler gave us her insights into corporate work and the corporate world. Right. 
I would give you kind of three things, I think. And the one thing is what I already shared. I think, you know, um, training on implicit bias for me was a turning point with regards to my personal view on, you know, bias and, and, you know, the science behind it. So I think for every organization, it's, it's not the solution, but I think it's a starting point to create awareness for, you know, what's happening with us, that it's nothing intentional, but that it's something happening with us, even with the very best intentions. And it's hard to fight it because it's so wired in our, our brains. So for me, that's really my, my number one. My number two is really executive commitment. So I've seen what is possible if executives commit to promoting women diversity in a company. And uh, I remember one situation where, you know, I've sitting in, sat in many talent reviews in my life where we discussed, you know, talent of the organization. And one special situation I will always remember where we discussed female talent and the executives in the rooms were saying, no, she's not ready. And that was a term I've never heard for male uh, talents. It was very typical for female talents. And the most senior person in the room spoke up and he said, I keep hearing that, but when will she be ready? How long shall I wait? And how will we know she's ready if we don't give her the job? So let's give her the job. We gave her the job and she's, she was very, very successful. So I really, really think that executive commitment can make a change and have a huge, huge impact on the topic. And I guess the third point is really what I already shared that I'm trying to do myself since I had this training, be conscious about my own biases just really trying to take a helicopter view and slow down decisions, whether it's hiring or promotions or salary increases, really being critical with, with myself. And we're never going to be perfect, right? But we can aspire to be better. And, and that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to do. And this is so refreshing to hear Gisela's practical actions. And it links to the foundations that Irene described in the 80s and 90s. I did a lot of coaching with our young women consultants who felt that they were not legitimate or credible. And to talk to them about how they're going to have to be even more authority and self-confidence. And our company paid for it personal development work for young women consultants to help them get that sense of confidence. I pestered my two partners to say he or she quite early on, and they did. They did. They finally did, and they did it all the time, and it was earlier than other people, and so that was good because especially we were working also with international companies where he or she was already part of the regular vocabulary, the fact that in France it was still he all the time, was absolutely not going to help us get any business. So those were things that I could do. Talking with Natalie, who is also in France, she had more encouraging examples about how women can address some of the larger societal and systemic challenges. 
Within organization, it will always be a, a matter of communication, I, I think. That's the first step. And if I talk about the other organization or initiatives, eight years ago, I launched a woman empowerment events with three other friends. The organization aims to question our understanding of feminine success and promote diverse role models and initiatives within the French society. So now we are seeing that within the French landscape, there are more and more events about giving different kind of role models and different of success. Many people want to change their life and men or women, whatever. Within the association, we talk, and that's the name of the association, we promote an intersectional view of feminism. We consider all factors that will limit women to grow, share and accomplish themselves. It's not only about the color or the gender or the age or, or social or educational background or health. Even health is important. We have to consider uh, female health as well. So we identified 24 role models. They were not well-known uh, women from the civic uh, society who shared their experience on gender bias. To make them visible, we appointed 24 ambassadors and we gathered 200 people at each event. We noticed that some women among the ambassadors as well, they changed their opinion on some bias. They might even women have bias regarding gender bias, of course, and I think it's important to tell it. And also role model, they were empowered thanks to this challenging experience because they were not known, they were not used to uh, speak uh, in front of uh, 200 people. So we we built bridges in between the world. And for us, it was a success. Basically, we can have wherever we are, whatever we are, men or women. Uh, it's not really important, actually, I think. We can undertake action every day. We can discuss with our children or, for instance, have a subscription at the soccer football for girls, for instance. Uh, that's the case of my girl. And we can create uh, new spaces like you you are doing, uh, Stephanie, with your podcast. So basically, we just need to keep eye open and, and be convinced and raise awareness on, on this bias, whatever they are, gender or other bias we can have and, and make be sure. And I, I'm really convinced about that that women are amazing change makers. And the final practical action that we can all do comes from my youngest guest, Maddie. Probably just try to educate myself and others if I'm a, like I'm able to about like sort of, a, some people just don't know. Like I'm not sure that my tennis coach understood the comments that he were making, like the impact they had on me. So if I'm able to like talk to somebody about that and see if they can act on it, I don't know. That, that's something I would do. Just always educating people is always important in any major yeah, problem. And the actions that I take are firstly to mentor young women whenever I can. I've been mentoring for years and usually learn a lot in exchange. I feel a strong commitment to passing on my experiences and insights, as well as to staying connected with women younger than me. Secondly, over the years, I've found more and more ways to call out the bias when I see it. I started first being quite low-key about it, but now I'm becoming much more direct and explicit. And finally, whenever I can, I work with clients who are committed to looking at the systemic issues and creating positive change in their organisations. And one final word from Chitupa. You know, and then it is Women's Day and in... In, it is for women. However, 
it it needs to be also for men to be able to collaborate i think in the best way that they can wherever they are in the world to to say let me be conscious on this day to do my best learning and take it forward and be able to empower a woman that i may not have done before so i want to say a big thank you to madi chitupa irene gisla and natalie as well as my producer hattie the other woman in this podcast hidden behind the scenes i hope i hope you have been able to hear how passionate we all are about this topic and that you found our insights food for thought and may be helpful in your world and whatever your gender. We must break the bias. As I close this podcast, I have on my mind a heartbreaking photo of a young Ukrainian woman learning how to shoot a gun. And I know that all my guests would join me in feeling solidarity with this woman and all the women in Ukraine today. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, then go and listen to the rest of the series, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced and edited by Hattie Moyer. The music is from my stepdaughter, Julie Cloareg. I'm Stephanie Parry, and this is Where Do We Go From Here? deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.